Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Exploring the Parsha Christmas Day Off edition. Uh, we are not doing this class in our usual format. Uh, it, it's, it's November 22nd for us, uh, and hopefully the past three days have been very exciting, uh, for you. Uh, we don't know what has unfolded. Rabbi Schatz, what do you think has unfolded between now and three days from now? We come to you from the past. Come to you from the past. We come in peace. Um, maybe aliens. All right. 2020. Anything could have happened. All right. So, uh, we are joined, uh, not with our usual coterie of students. Sadly, we wish you all well, but we do have the privilege of not one, but two, three. Alex is in the car with John. Oh, three. (laughs) Like, like one, but wait, Alex, are you like, are you rocking this with us? Yes. Oh, 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 I was like, I was saying not one, but three. Oh, not one, not two, but three. We're doing great. It's 2020 and I've forgotten how to count. Uh, we have three different Ziegler students joining us for this very special extra Ziegler edition of Exploring the Parsha. Uh, we have Josh and we have Alex and we have Ben. Great to have you guys here with us. We are in Parsha Vayigash. Uh, we are going to be exploring. Uh, we're indulging ourselves outside of our usual two or three psukim. We're going to be looking at four psukim, uh, which is a, a whole lot of Torah to be to be working with. But we'll no doubt make it through. Hopefully, to be fair to be fair to the Ziegler students, I only told them that you were doing two through four because that's originally what we had decided. But we're doing one through four. So Bonus pasuk. Hopefully that won't throw you off. I gave them a little bit of extra time because usually rabbinical students like to do their own, you know, prep and, and looking into things. So I gave them a little prep material. Just like you, the, the rabbinical student, Rabbi Shapiro. I mean. All right. Anyway. Um, okay, so we're going to pick things up um, at the beginning of chapter 46. Um, in, in some ways, the context is very easy here. Um, we, as folks know, we've been moving through the story of Joseph um, with lots of back and forth uh, Joseph and the brothers and so on. Um, but this is at kind of an inflection point where there's a very clear delineation between what has been before um, and what will come after. At the beginning of chapter 46, at this point, there has been a reunion um, between uh, Joseph and his brothers after all of the shenanigans and tomfoolery, as the biblical Hebrew would have it, uh, in terms of the brothers going back and forth, and Shimon stays back, and they have to bring Benjamin, and Judah uh, tearfully begs Joseph to, uh, in in the style of Calypso, uh, oh no, not he, how you can accuse him is a mystery, and so on, and, say, and so forth. Um, Joseph reveals himself, um, and the brothers, though a little bit freaked out, are glad to see him. Um, Joseph sends them back uh, to their father uh, to come and reunite uh, with him. And so uh, he is about to do. Um, So there's been this beautiful reunion. The brothers come back uh, at the end of chapter 45. Um, Right. The brothers tell him in verse 26, Joseph is still alive. He's right. He's ruling in Egypt. um, And, Jacob has this initial moment where he doesn't he doesn't even believe them right and and understandably so it's been a while um we were talking uh Rabbi Shatz, you and I were talking a little bit last week does Jacob right think the brothers had something to do with Joseph's disappearance um and that Reuven knows he might not be dead but 
whatever might have happened, now that he's confronted with this knowledge, we're told, lo ha'amilahem, that he doesn't believe them. But then the brothers lay it all out uh, in terms of what Joseph said. And he he sort of gradually takes it all in. Um, and v'techi ruach Yaakov aviham, that Jacob's spirit uh, was revived picks up a different piece we were talking about last week, potentially, but now the spirit of Yaakov, when we were going back and forth about the different names of Yaakov and Israel, now the Ruach of Yaakov is back, he is revived, and he says, all right, let's go. Vayomer uh, Yisrael, Rav od Yosef Nichai, Joseph's still alive, we're going to go, we're going to go now. So that brings us to chapter 46. Uh, like we said, we're going to look at these first four psukim. Um, <laughs> Rabbi Shatz picked these verses for a specific reason and uh, may or may not have found much to share on that specific reason, but I found some good stuff and I think she did too. And no doubt our, our diligent rabbinical students found ample uh, opportunity for exploration. They were, they were told there was no homework, but I'm sure they'll come up with things that are. Oh, those rabbinical students. They're always good for lots of good stuff. And to That's our. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> As the rabbis say. Okay, so chapter 46. Uh, um, Israel sent out with all that was his, uh, and he came to Beersheba. Um, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Th- this, I-, I will say, was the Clause that caught my eye, which is why I went back to uh, Rabbi Schatz and said, oh, this verse looks interesting to me, too. Somehow did not communicate that to our trusty rabbinical students. Um, but it's interesting to me that it specifically says to the God of his father, Isaac. I mean, I found some interesting stuff on that. Verse 2, Vayomer Elohim Israel, God said to Israel, Bimarat Halayla, in a, in a night vision, in a vision by night. Vayomer Yaakov, Yaakov, Vayomer Hineni. He said, Yaakov, Yaakov. Yaakov responded, Hineni, here I am. Uh, always an evocative um, one-two punch there in terms of the dialogue, the repetition of the name and the Hineni. Vayomer Anochi Ha'el Elohei Avicha. I am God. I am the God, the God of your father. Al Tira Merda Mitzrayma. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Kilagoi Gadol Asimcha. Sham, for I will make you there a great nation. Anochi ered imcha mitzrayma. I will go down with you um, to Egypt. Um, if I was translating literally, I might say, "I I will go down with you to Egypt." Um, so no, just... Egypt word. That's what that's what um, Zioni Zevit would tell you to say. Egypt word towards Egypt. Anyway, continue. Thank you, Doctor Zevit. So nice to have you on the call with us as well. Um, your voice is a bit. Um, but yes, Egypt word, but I'm also picking what? Sorry, it's good to know that the trauma doesn't go away even years later. Still. <laughs> no, his teaching will stay with you wherever you go, especially especially that stuff with the hay. Anyway, we're now on a tangent. But yeah. um, there's a different piece I saw in terms of why it's a hay that Dr. Zevit would probably say is uh, rubbish, but that's okay. Um, but I was pointing out the anochi and eret, right? The, the, you, don't, you don't need to say I when the I is implicit in the eret. So that, that's a thing. Anochi ered imcha mitzrayma anochi a'alcha gam alo. And I, yes, I will take you up out of there. V'yosef yashet yado al enecha. And Yosef's hand will, will close your eyes. So there's a lot in there. Um, Rabbi Schatz, I don't know if you want to speak to the piece that, that initially caught your eye um, about those verses, and we can go from there. Um, well, let's just ben, go. John, yeah. No, I was just going to say, let's just go to the verses and see if there are any kushio, because if there are not, then I can just jump right into the piece that... Um, let me share the verses. Hold on. So here are... Here are the, oh, I have commentaries interspersed. Can you um, 
Rush, Rio, can you? Uh, no, yours is on paper. Huh, we're doing great. Let me. I can share. I have the verses up. I can do it. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Except it says host disabled participant screen oh, share. Sorry, 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 sorry. There's your obligatory right, obligatory ahead. Zoom. Go ahead. Snafu. Versus. Okay, so what we typically do is see if there are any kushiot, any any questions that you have about these verses. It could be about a word. It could be about just a, a general kind of understanding of what's going on. Anything that you, if you could scroll up a little bit, just so we can see four also. Sorry, down. Yeah. Just, okay. Um, just to hear if there are any things that you are thinking about or any anything that caught your eye. And no pressure, but if there is anything, we would love to hear it. No pressure, but it better be a good question. <laughs> well, with the lack of pressure um, duly noted, uh, <laughs> the, the two things that stood out to me are both name-based. Mm -hmm. So um, we have this back and forth. Um, I guess I'll start in the first verse. Um, I don't traditionally associate Beersheba with Yitzchak. I know he's been there and whatnot, but to me, that's like Avraham's territory. So why are we talking about Yitzchak here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the second one that really pops out to me is in the next pasuk. Um, it's the the narrative mentions the name Yisrael, but God is calling to Yaakov, and and it's in the same verb. Like that seems really off to me. Very interesting. I don't know. Um, but those were the two things that immediately popped out to me. Great. Yeah. The commentators are going to talk about why why invoke um, Isaac at all, um, but but not necessarily the Beresheva piece. I think that's a very interesting that's a very interesting catch, or at least I didn't see that. Maybe Rabbi Shapiro did, but I didn't see that they talked about Isaac in relationship to Beresheva. I just thought they talked about Isaac um, and why say Elohei Avivitzchak, and then um, oh, Josh Jacobs is also joining our call. We're going to have two Josh Jacobs is here. Um, I believe it's Josh's Jacobs. Josh's Jacobs. Um, okay. And then the second piece, I also have, I love, I love the idea of when Israel is used and when Yaakov is used. Um, and the, the commentators pick up on this as well of why use both in the same phrase when we're clearly talking to the same person. And seemingly what's even more important is seemingly talking to the same person kind of in the same kind of experience. So it's not just that they're talking to Jacob and it's this type of experience, but no, now we're going to have an experience and call him Israel. It seems to be the same experience calling him both. Um, so we're going to definitely look at that. Great, great. Um, you picked up what the rabbis put down, as they say. You pass. Uh, Alex or Josh, any, any kushiot? You don't have to have any. Just want to not gloss over you if you do have them. Thank you. No, I mean, the, the repetition is obviously a question, just given that whenever there's, if nothing is superfluous in Torah, then why Yaakov twice? Yeah, great. Um, and then Hineni, which, as you mentioned, is a, a, such a loaded term, makes you think of the Akedah, makes you think of, so what? what's the invocation there? Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a whole thing. I have a, I have a theory of Hineni throughout the Yaakov narrative. Oh, but. interesting. I don't know if it's a theory, but I was like, I went back and tracked it a little bit. And it's interesting to see where it pops up. Yeah, I'd be really interested about that. Um, and then more of just an observation, less uh, uh, a question. But um, it's, it is pretty nice, this relationship that's painted where God is comforting uh, uh, Jacob and saying, don't worry. And here, you know, you've been, you've been in pain for so long. Because I, I know some people have asked, you know, what, what, why would God put Jacob through such pain of feeling that his you know, favorite son, Joseph, is dead for so long and all of this torture? So it's nice here, this, this God of comfort saying, don't worry, and he's going to close your eyes. It's all going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, I think that there's one really beautiful piece that that I brought that um, talks about what does it mean to close his eyes? Um, because when we think about 
for those of us who watch crime shows, um, when we think about like coming upon a dead body, um, can calm down, Rabbi Shapiro, um, coming upon a dead body and then they close the dead person's eyes, like that to me, when I read this, that's what I thought of, but actually. That's not what the Torah, at least according to the rabbis, not what the Torah was implying. Um, Rabbi Shapiro is making so many faces and I don't know how to read any of them, but... Um, no, I'm treasuring the ability that I can make faces without anybody on the podcast knowing that I'm making faces. Oh, okay. I you're won't, outing me here. I won't mention that you're making faces. But, but I do think that that's something that has been... It is much more a Christian um, custom that when you're that when you're in the presence of a dead body that the eyes must be closed than than one that I've actually seen in Jewish tradition. Um, but it's possible that it comes from here, from this moment of how we we interpret that moment and um, and the other religions who are reading this text interpret that moment. Alex, anything before I move on? You don't have to. I just don't want to. Yeah, I'm, I'm just catching up and I don't want to repeat what's already been okay. said. Um, and just, I guess, just for me, that it, it, it seems that God always appears, I, I, I don't know if this has been said, but that God always appears to Jacob in, in these visions at night. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> Yay for Alex. Okay. Apparently, Alex really passes. Yeah. Uh, that was like the, it's like from Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Like that was the I word think, of the day. I was, starting to, I was starting to think that I might be a crazy person for, for thinking about this more heavily. Um, yeah, a crazy so. person for shrieking on a <laughs> Yeah, I was I was her direct intern for a year, and never was I validated with that <laughs> kind of reaction once. That is not true. That is not true. Um, okay, so the idea, <laughs> the idea that that Jacob has these dreams, or at least has moments of connection to God at night or in moments where we wouldn't expect God to actually have um, influence or relationship, right? We often come across God with other characters um, in moments where they're very present as opposed to Jacob, who is less than present in all of the moments that he comes across God. Um, so so I was just excited that someone else <laughs> thought of that. Um, my my other the other thing that I came that I came across that was that was interesting um, and I hadn't thought about this until I actually was coming across the commentaries. Um, Rashi, will you go? Can I see verse one? Can you go up a little bit? Tell me verse one. Um, that that there's something there's something nope that there's something very special about how God is partnering with Jacob throughout this whole experience, right? He goes up, he goes down, he stays with him. Um, all these different moments of connection. And we see them actually in, in these verses in four different ways. Um, first is through his father, and then is really through kind of his subconscious almost, and then really partnership like in a parallel sense, right? Being with him next to him as he's going about these moments. Um, so that was the other thing that I came across. Any kushiot on your end, Rabbi Shapiro? It's interesting that you see it that way. I found a lovely piece about God walking with, with Jacob through this. So I'm, I'm, so um, <laughs> good. No, we too. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean a lot of what's a lot of what's been named to this point um for sure. I noticed the word anochi um appearing. Like and I noticed some of that and I, I found a piece on that. I, I like I always like the hinaniing. Um Ben, I I also noted can I can I if I'm not kushioting, um can I can I pick up what Ben was noticing about Beersheba? Yeah, sure. Is that allowed? Yeah. Mother may I? This is a um, podcast. We do this class together. You can do whatever you want. <clears throat> um, I, I also noticed the Beresheva piece, and it's it's interesting that that you made the comment um, that you see it as as like a Avraham place and not necessarily Yitzchak place because that that pinged for me as well. But then I went back and I was looking at it. And it, it is also a Yitzchak place, right? It's also a Yitzchak place. Um, going back, if you look in chapter 26, after um, 
the whole back and forth that that Yitzchak has with Avimelech, right? Who probably isn't the first Avimelech, but we don't know. But it's probably right. It's probably like Avimelech the second, right, or whatever it is who's in that area. Um, it it actually turns out that Isaac's servants find a well. And they, they call it Shiva. And, and now today it's called Be'er Sheva, right? So that's in chapter 26. So it's, it's like, it's both in Avraham and a Yitzchak place, right? Which is particularly interesting given that like now this is the place, um, where Yaakov is before he leaves the land, right? And there, there were a few different commentaries I saw that, that made the point. Um, and I actually found a particularly interesting one. Um, what, what Radak says, um, oh no, this was the Kiddush Levi actually, but, but a few, a few different commentators pick up on the point that he's invoking Yitzchak's name when Yitzchak specifically was the only one of the Avot who, who didn't leave the land. So, so there's an interesting piece about he's in this place where his, his grandfather was, but specifically his father was, and his father was the one who never left. Um, and um, the, the Kedushat Levi goes so far as to say that the reason that he made those sacrifices there is because he was actually hoping that God would change God's mind so he wouldn't have to leave the land, right? That there's this moment where he's he's pausing and he's saying, do, do I really need to go, right? Like, can't, can't you bring Joseph here instead of me needing to go there? Um, and I think there's there's a few different interesting pieces about calling Yitzchak's name specifically, but that that conjunction then, like you pointed out, of Beersheba specifically, and that moment of, of pause before he leaves. It's just an interesting layering there in terms of how Yitzchak functioned in the narrative now, what he's doing, and that that specific place. Um, so I found that to be an interesting an interesting comment. Um, Rajshri, why don't you start us off with, since you, you focused in on the, the first verse and I focused mostly on the second and the fourth verse. So do you want to start off and then I'll, I'll add, we can kind of just go in chronological order. Well, I thought I started. Didn't that kind of start? I know, I, yes, but I'm just saying like, do you want to, do you want to add to that piece before we move off of the first Pasuk is all I'm saying? Or is that all you had on the first Pasuk? I mean, I thought that was interesting. I... <laughs> okay, I'm going to go. Because... No further comment, Your Honor. <laughs> okay, um, so the I'll share my screen, actually, so that you can see the text that I, that I brought, because often I think that's an easier way of um, seeing the connections. Okay, so as Alex pointed out, and as you heard me very excited about, um, there is this idea that that he is again having this connection with God at night. Um, however, as Josh mentioned, we the the commentators, and this is why I told Robert Shapiro that that the commentators weren't talking about what I wanted them to talk about, because they're mostly focused on this Yaakov Yaakov piece. Um, and I am, I've always loved the, the differences between when Yaakov is used and when Israel is used. And so I, I especially appreciate this verse that has both, um, for all the reasons that I mentioned before. And so Ramban says, um, even though Yisrael, as his name, has been used many times, God calls him here, Yaakov, to, to actually show a certain kind of character that is going to be coming out of this moment, right? That he's going into exile, um, that, that it's more of like a, a, uh, a mm, not personal, but more of a like humanized moment that is coming after this as opposed to a spiritual um, relational with God moment, right? That they're gonna, they're going into slavery. It's going to be like really tactless, right? Like back to the name that he was given originally, not the name that he was given by God, which I thought was interesting. I'm not sure that I'm super compelled by the commentary, but I do think that it's an interesting way of, of, um, distinguishing between Yisrael and Yaakov. So I wanted to share that with you. And then Radak says something 
different, but, but maybe more interesting. Um, the reason this call to Yaakov is repeated is to illustrate that for how many years Yaakov had not been favored with communication from God. By repeating his name at this point, Yaakov was alerted to the fact that he would receive a prophetic insight. So it's actually not the opposite, but it kind of takes a different spin that by saying Yaakov's name, that that actually implies that God will be more um, part of Jacob's life upcoming and what's going to follow this moment, but that that what um, what Radak is picking up on is this recalling that God hasn't been as intertwined in Jacob's life day to day as he might have been in Abraham and in Isaac's life, um, and and it's. It's that's an there's an interesting question in there about why and why did God make that choice and is God more available or in uh, involved in Yisrael's life but not Yaakov's life? It's a it's a very interesting piece um, to kind of dissect and figure out what what Radak is getting at here, but but potentially kind of a a sign for those reading Torah to know what's upcoming and using um, Yaakov's name twice. So the the other piece before we move into the dream part that I saw from um, Midrash Tanhuma, it's actually a Midrash on Parshat Noah. There are many times, as you're going to see down here in a second, it says that Avraham's name was also said twice, same with Moshe, same with Shmuel, actually, um, that names are said twice in particular instances. And so they're using the moment in Noah where it says Noah, Noah, as opposed to here, Yaakov, Yaakov, but it's um, the Midrash comes up because he's an example. So um, it says the... Uh, all those who enter the world, lest they think of saying he was only righteous in his generation, right? So in Noah's case, that he was only righteous in the generation that he lived in. The Holy One said, for me, he is the equal of uh, Abraham. Rav Yehuda Bar Shalom, I don't know who that is, said um, the name is stated two two times, right? The reason that it says his name in, I don't know what these are called, um, and no one's going to be able to see me, so great. The reason that the, this is, oh, did someone just chat it to me? He's a Levite. Yes, very good. <laughs> you are so helpful. Um, that the when the person's name is stated two times, that it's, that it gives equality to the to the people who are righteous. So I think what they're saying here, this is a little bit, it's a little bit of a of a wordy way of saying that their names are said twice because their names deserve to be kind of highlighted and put up on a pedestal with those who are also righteous. So it's Noah and Abraham and Shmuel and Jacob, and these are all people that when called, their names are used twice so that we're seeing them as as righteous beings. Okay, so now, does anybody have any comments on that piece before I get to the dream night piece? I went to unmute myself and I muted you. That was an accident, I promise. Um, I, I don't, can you... I don't understand. Can you can you give this to me again? Like what what about saying it twice gives gives them equality? I don't I don't quite get that. It's basically to say, well, first of all, I'm interested in hearing what the Piazetsner Rebbe says, but it's basically saying that the that the two that the two names being stated, unlike when we say like Yitzchak's name, right? That the two names being stated here are making these characters into categories of righteous people, which is why their names are then said twice. I forget who said it, um, but I came across a commentary that also says that the reason that they are righteous is because they live both in this world and in the next world. And so in saying their name, the name is being used in this world and in the world to come. And so their righteousness is kind of held up above um, those whose names are only used once you don't like it you don't like it it's not that i don't like it i just i i don't quite understand no. how it how it like elucidates it meaning I, I i to me it just makes more sense that it's like an attention getter right to like to make sure that the person is is paying attention well, right? I, think like that, I think that they're saying that that 
un, it's not for the per, it's not for Jacob to pay attention. It's for us to pay attention that Jacob was a righteous person. So Jacob heard his name. To, <laughs> it's hard for me to not tell the people not seeing your face that you're making faces. But Alex, what was the what was the Piazetzner's piece on this? Sure, he he said something really interesting about the difference between the doubling up of names with Moses and, uh, you know, from the rest of these uh, characters that, um, you know, and this might be the way that we have punctuated, but with Moses, there isn't a break in between Moshe, Moshe. Um, and with a lot of these other doubling up of names, it's Abraham, Abraham. There's, there's a, there's a pause there. And yeah. he says that it, the reason is because um, God, carries a lot of the burden of Israel's of the people suffering. And that in that moment where, where God is calling out to Moses, there is like a tremendous amount of suffering that God is suffering under. And so, you know, saying like Moses, Moses, like calling out to, to, you know, in in like a moment of desperation, which is, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I, that is how I would have read it. Um, like in terms of when we, when, when you think of calling someone's name, right, either they can't hear you or you're trying to get their attention so much so that you say their name multiple times and that, yeah, that's, it's a beautiful way of reading it. I like the burden piece that's put in there. Um, it's a beautiful way of reading it. And one that I think is closer to, to how we might read it without, without other commentaries. And Rowie Shapiro is still making faces. So maybe he... No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not just... It makes me think about going back the other way. And I was thinking about this as a doubling too. And it it depends, again, also where you punctuate it because there's no punctuation. But I think about the 13 attributes. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right? You can read it as God said, mm-hmm. here's what you say. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. But you can also read it as, and that's what Moshe said. And Moshe said, Adonai, Adonai, Arachum B'chanun. So particularly with an eye towards like burden, right? The burden of that moment and and asking for help. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting um, to think about that. I mean, I just think about it very practically. Like when when Jonah's jumping on the couch and they say, Jonah, Jonah, right? Like that's that's what it makes me think of. Like, no, you really got to pay attention right now. It's a purely fictional example. It doesn't happen every hour on the hour. Um, but it, it makes me think about, right, just in the raw paying attention of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting. And, and the, the difference between when they're like smushed together, like one after the other, instead of like when there's a, a pause and then going into the next one. Yeah. Right. Um, can, I, can I share my theory of Hineni? Can I articulate my theory of Hineni's? Yeah, and then I'll do the night piece. Yeah. You're excited about the night. I don't want to take the night piece away from you. No, no, no. It's no, I'm it's fine. I'm just telling you. Okay. So for those of our guests who don't who don't know, I I love playing with concordances. 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 You know, Rabbi Klinkfeld and I, I don't know if you know this actually, Rabbi Shapiro. Rabbi Klinkfeld and I gave an entire teaching last Shabbat using what we found in a concordance to to make our drush. We didn't give you any credit, but here is me giving you credit. I mean, because I like, I don't, you know, I, I also like affordable housing and I don't expect credit every time, you know, uh, people get a roof over their head. So, you know, um, that's a weird tangent. Okay. Um, I went back um, and I looked. Um, so Hineni is is not a common word phrase in Tanakh uh, from what I saw it only shows up 16 times but in addition to this it shows up five times in the whole arc of of like the Yaakov narrative right so that's really interesting it's interesting that that almost a third of the time it shows up in all of Tanakh um, happen over the past couple of Prakim like I just think like Stam that's interesting but but that also seems to be calling and saying like, okay, well, what's going on there that I would show up so frequently. And here are the, here are the places that it shows up before this one. One is it shows up. The first time it shows up is when Yitzchak calls to Esav to go and, and, and hunt for him. Right. So the first Hineni in the Yaakov story is actually from Esav. So that's, that's like just interesting period. I think the next time it shows up is of course, when Yaakov is, 
pretending to be Esav. So the first time Yaakov says Hineni is when he's pretending to be his brother. That's also really interesting. Then the third time it shows up is when he's, when Yaakov is living with Lavan and he's the whole goat situation, the speckled goats and the non-speckled goats and that whole scam. Um, but he says Hineni when he's relaying to Leah and Rachel the dream he had where he shares with them about why it's okay for him to get the goats, which seems to be a little sketchy at best, right? Is that a real Hineni in responding to God? Or is that Yaakov being like, I don't know, people say Hineni when they want it to sound authentic. And that's kind of how it reads to me. The next time it shows up in the story is when Yaakov calls to Yosef and Yosef says to Yaakov, Hineni, and now this one. Right. So those were the four previous Hinanis. And now we get to this one, like right as we're approaching this like climactic moment in the narrative. Wait, so is this the, is this the first time, sorry that I didn't follow all that like numerically, but is this the first time that Jacob is saying it to God? Wow. I think so. I think so. Because like, uh, unless you think, at best, in the story um, that he's saying to Leah and Rachel, you're hearing it secondhand, right? That he said it to God in a dream, but you're not getting like in media rest, right? You're not getting like in, in the moment of the narrative where it's happening. Yeah. And I think he's just sort of like telling them, oh, I had this dream where God told me to do this to these goats. Like, mm, I don't think that really happened. But so in addition to it being like interesting, some that this seems to be the first place where Yaakov is actually in the one and only place where Yaakov says he named to God. If you look at each of those moments, right, those are each moments that either themselves are moment of, moments of brokenness or lead to moments of brokenness, right? That it kicks off the, the Jacob and Esau story. And then it's Jacob pretending to be Esau. And it's this still sort of like weird moment of fracture between Jacob and Levan. And then it's this moment at the beginning of the Joseph narrative where Joseph ends up and I'm doing his whole deal, right? So here we finally get to the, we're coming to the end of the Yaakov narrative. And it's like, it's that last, right? Maybe this is the restorative Hineni, right? It's it's just interest, like that, that it's it's 90% of a thought. Like I don't have a big therefore on it from right. there, but it's it's just interesting to me to like track those and is the five next, Hineni's over the course of the narrative. And is the next Hineni Moshe? Ding. Yeah, that's great. That's a great drush. Do you want to give us? Do you want to give a sermon this Um, Uh, You can just record that. Just take that part out. Don't put the podcast up, and just play the audio. Use it for Shabbos. No, that wasn't a drush. That was a that part. You should give me credit for um, because I actually did my homework on that. Um, But take it. I mean, I think you could take that any number of different directions, right? Like, what does it mean to finally respond to a call? What does it mean to finally respond to a call? as yourself in the moment instead of being someone else, right? Like how are the ways in which you can say the same thing multiple times in your life and it finally means something different when you're ready to change, right? Like there's yeah, yeah. there's all sorts of places, uh, directions you could take that, I think. This is a tangent, but but in looking at uh, the word hineni, I remember when we were doing all that pre-Elul um, or pre-Tishrei during Elul stuff um, <laughs> that we what our first theme, because every week had a theme, our first theme was Ayeka. And I remember Rabbi Mark Borovitz bringing up the, 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 um, the use of Ayeka to Hineni, right? That where are you? Here I am. <laughs> and how it's used in that way versus the Moshe way, or even the Yaakov way, way right? Of just calling out a name and being able to say, here I am versus where are you? And then saying, here I am. Like, how are those Hinanis the same? How are they different? What are yeah. the responses to? Um, right, because uh, he's a very different person at each stage of that. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying Mark Morm is a very different person. Yeah, no, he, he right. The, it's a very different, yeah, it's a very different, huh, hmm. like it. I like it a lot. Um, ben unmuted it. Ben, were you going to say something? You unmuted well, it. Yeah, I, just to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying in terms of it being finally responding as himself in the moment, that's also happening at the same in the same pasuk where we have two different names for him. 
which just to me makes it all the more interesting of he's responding to Yaakov, even though he is now known as Yisrael. There you go. There you go. Bing. There's the drosh. Boom. See, Ben found it. I knew there was a drosh in there somewhere. Yeah, ben, say, say more. Say more about that. That's great. Well, it's the he's responding, sort of building off of what Rabbi Schatz brought in. Um, this is the the name that he's really been conversant with God um, with. It's been Yaakov. And so for all this greatness that he's become with, for all of this, um, the, the future that he will be known by at the end of the day, the personal relationship is in that original name in, in how he starts his relationship with God. And so I think that's really where the he comes in is it's sort of him recentering himself and, I don't want to say like stripping away the ego of Yisrael, but um, stripping away the grandeur and just realizing it's just him. It's it's Yitzchak's son, as we had in the verse prior. It's yeah. It, it's not Yisrael, the the man who fights with angels, mystical beings, whatever. It's the person who set some stones on the ground and God spoke to him. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. Yeah, go I, I, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Rabbi Shriya. Thank you, Rabbi Schatz. I, I was going to, and or integration, right? That he's bringing those two pieces together. That when he finally says that he may me, he's responding as both, right? That that he's he's been sort of a wrestler his whole life and he's been moving from one to the other. And he can finally say, like, am I Israel? Am I Yaakov? Yes, he may me. Right. And also, and also that this is, this actually is part of what Rabbi Klickville and I spoke about this past Shabbos, but, um, to bring all the pieces of this conversation together, um, you also can be two different names to people, right? Like I am Rebecca and I'm also Rabbi Schatz and I'm also other nicknames to family and friends. And I think that that is, you could say the same response and mean it in different ways, even even if you're saying it in those with those different you know proverbial hats on, you could be saying the same thing, the same word, the same response, and mean it in different ways through those different lenses. So even if he's saying it as Yaakov or saying it as Israel, having both of those names there for him to say Hineni maybe is that kind of yes, I could say it differently based on these two pieces, but I can also bring myself together to say it, um, to say it in this way. For sure. And Batman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Josh. Josh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, another theory on Hineni, but before just uh, the chat that Rabbi Shapiro said, you read out loud, and Batman, think about it. Have you ever seen Rebecca Schatz and Batman in the same place? I haven't. So I just didn't want that to go unacknowledged. No, you. you guys are ruining all the fun of people not being able to see my face or read the chat. I am trying to enjoy being able to go undercover and my colleagues <laughs> no, it's are good. It's good. boiling. Uh, I didn't know podcast etiquette. This is my first time on the show. You're doing great. <sighs> You're getting an A plus thus far. <laughs> F, F minus. <laughs> well, I, I was wondering, because I, I don't even want to complicate the Hineni theories, because I, I already love where we went with it, but just other other ways to, to look at it, I was thinking, because you mentioned Beersheba and we were saying, is that, I thought that was an Abraham thing. Is that a Yaakov thing or is that a Yitzchak thing? Well, they all kind of have a claim to it. So I, I like similarly with Hineni. It's like, no, 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 Hineni is an Abraham thing. Well, actually it's, it's really a, a Yaakov, it's a, it's a Yitzchak thing in the Akedah. Well, maybe here it's also a Yaakov thing. So I like this sharing the wealth or inheriting it or stepping into your right legacy, whatever you want to go with it. But the other thing is if there, if we do make this, Akedah link, then maybe there's a parallel in the import of the moment here that, in a way, this is the new Akedah coming up, that you're about to go down to Egypt, it's going to be a sacrifice, it's going to be 400 years, but just like the first Akedah ended not the way you expected, it it ended okay, again, things are going to be okay this time, too. Great. There, there's there's another piece that, to fast forward a little bit. There's a couple of comments that pick up on the fact Rabbi Yubachia talks about it a little bit, um, and I saw it one or two other places. I, I, I was sort of 
foreshadowing it when I was doing that translation in terms of the anochi ered, right? You could just say ered. You don't need to say ano. You don't say I. I will go. Right? No, nope, I will go. That would be sufficient. And and that the anochi is foreshadowing of Sinai. Because of course, right, that's, that's the first word of Sarah Tati wrote. That's the first word of the revelation. So when you, like, you can see Anochi and it's like lingering there. I'm going to take you down to Egypt, but you'll have that on the other side, right? So, so it's, it's, it's going to be bad, but there will be now there's all sorts of theological issues in terms of, okay, it's going to be bad in the short term, but in the end, it's going to be great. Uh, that, you know, that theology is tricky. Um, but in terms of looking at the language and and in terms of that's how it functions within the text of the Torah, right? That's how God works within the narrative um, and giving that anochi as sort of a way of saying that that's going to be waiting on the other side for you. Um, and, and to me, in terms of like, yes, you can read it as poetic language, but you can also just sort of see that word for its major resonance in terms of the, the larger narrative of the Torah. Yeah, Alex. There's also... I don't know. There's also something that seems like a reversal of the Akedah here because he's going down to Egypt to see his son who he thought was lost to him. You so make that's fair. Mm-hmm. You make a good pair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're, I think you're picking up on something that, that shows kind of that mirror effect that we see so much throughout the Torah that we can, that we can have that same profound moment in one way and also in the reverse, that there is this profound loss, but then there is also this profound finding and that you have something to do with both, right? He could have sacrificed his son or he could have, um, he could have chosen, excuse me, not to go after um, the opportunity to bring his family back together. So um, yeah, I've always... Uh, so in Rabbi Dr. Aryeh Cohen's class, um, he asks you to do a final project. I forget which class this was that I took with him, but a final project. Um, and I did a project on mirrors uh, and how the Talmud acts as a mirror of our life. And so when picking different sugiot, how we can read them as a mirror into our life. And I often think of that when when the two of you bring up things like this, where one person can see it this way and the other person can see the exact same thing the opposite way, because we we can imagine those moments being not only mirrors of one another, but also mirrors of our own understanding of what those what those experiences meant. Um, and that's why Torah is so, so awesome that we can see those things happen and also interpret them um, throughout our own lens. And that word Mar'et in terms of Mar'et Lila, uh, you can see as vision or you can also see it as yeah. mirror. I love, I love that idea. I, I'm just in addition to saying Justin Timberlake to myself, um, thinking about, I, I, I love, I love the inverted um, Akeda, right? Like yeah. the, the echoing and then the inversion, right? The idea that Avraham thought he was going to ha- have to sacrifice his son, but then didn't on the heels of a Hineni. And now on the heels of a Hineni, Yaakov is going down to see the son who he thought was lost, but now it turns out is going to be found. Yeah. It's really, it's really fantastic. Um, okay. So I want to, I want to bring. I want to bring a few other pieces. Um, Rabbi Schatz has been waiting to to do her her dream piece for. I have, but but I also want to bring one other piece about this. What we're talking about right now, because I think it's though I like another piece. I think this is also a, a very fascinating moment. Um, so I read this Dots Kanim. Uh, those of you who have not studied Dots the Dots Kanim uh, commentary on the Torah. You can't just make faces. I haven't studied the dots game yet. I don't. I don't know what's no, da- I, what it. <laughs> I was including everybody in this. If you have not oh. studied the dots game with Torah commentary, um, it is it is fascinating. There's not always commentary on everything, like there is Rashi for everything. But I often appreciate the commentaries that are used, and in this case. Um, I really, really like this idea. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but basically what it's saying about this moment of I will go down with you, right? So it says, I, 
God will go down with you to Egypt and I will also go back up with you. The wording when examined closely implies that whereas God personally will accompany him on the way down to Egypt, an agent, an agent of God's will supervise the return to the land of Canaan of his body when the time came. And then it goes through this math that that it says that 70 of his descendants have mentioned as coming to Egypt, only 69 names are listed. And then when it says 600,000 later, it's actually one less than 600,000 600, because they're adding God, the Torah is adding God as one of those numbers, which is just, I mean, I haven't counted all 600,000. 600, I know that's hard, that number's hard for me to say. Um, to see if this is true, but even if it's not true, just the idea that this is how math was thought of when constructing these words of Torah are just, it, that just, it blows my mind. I love that. Um, and then this piece here kind of speaks to this Josh that Josh and Alex are working on, um, that this idea of using the word Mitzrayma that it actually, yes, God is talking to Jacob in this moment, but that what God is saying here is that God will always be with you in your times of, of Mitzrayim, in your times of um, narrow, confined spaces, which is what, what uh, the root is for Mitzrayim, right? Just like Minha Meitzar, uh, that God will always be with the Jewish people when they find themselves in these moments. So it's not just to Jacob, Jacob the character, but to Israel, to the people of to the people of Jacob, which again, I really, really loved. Okay, here's the piece of the dreams. And then um, yeah, okay. I'm just going to read this. It's from the Guide for the Perplexed. I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read pieces of it. Um, and oh, good. A quick piece of Guide for the Perplexed that will, I'm sure we'll be able to get through I'm not really quickly without being very confused. Yes. I'm not reading the whole thing, and it's not confusing. There are four different ways in which Scripture relates the fact that a divine communication was made to a prophet. The prophet relates, number one, the prophet relates that he heard the words of an angel in a dream or in a vision. Number two, he reports the words of the angel without mentioning that they were perceived in a dream or a vision, assuming that it's well known that the prophecy can only originate in one of the two ways. And there's a quote. Number three, the prophet does not mention the angel at all, right? He says that God spoke to him, but he states that he received the message in a dream or a vision. Number four, he introduces his prophecy by stating that God spoke to him or told him to do a certain thing or speak certain words, but does not explain that he received the message in a dream or a vision. Because again, he assumes that it's well known. Okay, so four different ways. Rabbi Shapiro is not understanding this. I'm going to keep. No, I understand it, but I just I don't I don't understand where you're going with it. Okay, well I'm not Rambam is. So then he gives a bunch of different examples for for where this first form of prophecy comes up. Okay, and then this part in red is the only part we're going to read. We're not going to read all these pieces. Every passage in Torah introduced by any of these four forms is a prophecy proclaimed by a prophet. But the phrase, and Elohim came to a certain person in the dream of night, does not indicate a prophecy. And the person mentioned in that phrase is not a prophet. Everybody with me so far? If you're on the podcast and not with me, I'm sorry. The phrase only informs us that the attention of the person was called by God to a certain thing. And at the same time that this happened at night, for just as God may cause a person to move in order to save or to kill another person, so God may cause, according to God's will, certain things to rise in man's mind in a dream by night. So now it's getting into the dream piece, but it's explaining to us that this is one way in which we find that God actually comes to people in our, and really in our Tanakh. I mean, it has so many different uh, um, examples and quotes here from different places in which this exact 
formula, so to speak, though not the exact same words, are used to understand that God is coming to a character to somehow give a message. And yet that person is not a prophet, right? Jacob is not a prophet. Jacob is just having a moment of connection with God. And that God is bringing to, to light, to, to the surface, something that God wants this character in our, in our piece here, Jacob, to then do, to then kind of live out or go forward with. Um, so that's, that's the major piece that I wanted to bring. So I think it's really, and I'm happy to send it for those people who are actually interested in reading through all the sources. I, I think it's really interesting to see how those different characters are are in communication with God and how Jacob very prominently has these communications with God at night, which according to Rambam is something that is part of a formula of when when these types of relationship um, moments, I guess, are are occurring with our with our characters. Rabbi Shapiro, do you have thoughts about that? Rabbi Shapiro did this to me last week where he read this very involved piece and then he was like, Rabbi Schatz, do you want to tell us something? So I'm, the tables have turned. Oh, Rabbi Schatz has been waiting to get her rabbinic revenge on me for no, no, no. a whole week. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, uh, you don't I mean, like, yes, it's fine. I, I, I don't need, I don't necessarily need the taxonomy of, of revelation, but it's, it's interesting to see it mapped out. I, I do think it's interesting um, to see the the multiple times where where this happens for Yaakov at night, right? Not not surprisingly, a lot of the commentators pick up on ah, it's the night because he's leaving the land and he's going into Galus, and so of course that could only happen at night. Um, yeah, I, I I do think um, I do wonder about. You know, but it's the, night the, in three different ways, right? I didn't bring these pieces, but it's night in three different ways. One is a dream. One is a wrestling at night, but not necessarily asleep. We all say that it's a dream, but we don't actually, it doesn't actually say that. It just says that there was a wrestling all night long. Right. Now this is happening. And it, it again, it doesn't say a dream, but it says in the vision of night, which could be, you know, he knocked himself i mean does, it could be do you know i mean it'd be interesting does does the the shady Hineni i mentioned that'd be a great name for a, a, a shady jewish a jewish uh sort of experimental jazz fusion group um the shady Hineni's. um do, do you know if he mentions um that that Hineni that i thought was like a little eh the the one with the with the goats and the whatnot like does does Maimonides see that as, as I, don't, like, I didn't I didn't look that'd be, for, that'd be interesting it'd be interesting to see if he if he calls that a something yeah I didn't look for the goat Hineni but it's possible um, <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that um, no I the the truth is I mean this is why I was so excited that Alex brought it up because I I thought I was going a little bit nuts that I couldn't find any commentators who cared as much about this moment of Jacob at night um, that the other ones we have so much commentary on, right? The wrestling, obviously, because his name has changed and then the dream with the ladder or the Sulam, whatever you want to call it, that we have a lot on that, but we don't have a lot on this. Um, there, the rabbis seem to not care as much that this is something that happens at night. They like the name piece. They like the Hineni piece. Um, I realize that it's five minutes after the hour, and though we started late, I don't want to keep our rabbinical students for too long. Um, I have a Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs piece to end on, but I want to give you any final words that you might might have. I'll just say thank you. I, I, this was really fun, uh, a real joy to, to be on here. Love learning with you all, and uh, I'm very honored that uh, he named me that I was here today. So thank you. Oh, and that's good sign off from Josh. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs laying a high, high, high bar for the quality sign off. Rabbi Shapiro, any any thoughts before I Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs us? Okay, I'm gonna read it. I had a piece that can I, if I, if there was a piece I really like, can we like put it in the podcast? Like, can I put it in like the podcast notes or something? I found a very groovy piece, but I don't want to take the oh, sax. Right now. 
I don't want to, I don't want to, you're, you're just going to Trump, sax Trump me with your, with your sax. No, I'm going to do it at the end, but if you have something to share, then share it. Our rabbinical students can go whenever they, whenever they would like or need to go, but. Class is dismissed. (laughs) No, it was, it was, it was just, um, it was a very cool piece that I could say a lot more about, but just very briefly, um, the Ramah pointed out in verse four, which, which we didn't get into all that much at all. Um, because of how it reads that like God says, I will go down with you and I will lift you back up. Like put very, very briefly, he says that when there are two people, right? When there are two parties who are like, who have to go down into a hole and he uses the language in Hebrew of a bore, which I don't think is an accident because that's what Yosef was put in, right? Um, that the person like who has courage should go down first. And then the person who is scared should come after him. And then the person who is more scared should like get, get lifted out first. And then the person who is braver goes up after him. And so applying that to the context. And if you look closely at the verse, you see that it works with the verbs that like God is like volunteering to go down first and to bring Jacob along with him. And God will then sort of guide Jacob back up, um, and then come out afterwards. And I just thought in terms of, you know, extrapolating a, any kind of relationship, but also particularly a relationship with God, that sort of God will go down before you and then also elevate you back up. I just thought that that was a lovely paradigm for thinking um, about relationship. I just thought it was a really nice little yeah, that is explication. Really, that is really nice. Thank you for adding that. I'm You're glad. most welcome. I'm glad we got to learn that today. Um, okay, so here's the final here's the final piece. Our Shapiro is in rare form today, folks. Uh, okay. Um, all right. So this is part of a larger drosh um, that Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs does on the, um, the moment where Jacob says, I was in this place and I did not know... Um, Right, that God was in it, that it was holy, all all those things, uh, and he equates, he brings about um, all these different moments of Jacob at night to prayer, and something that I've shared with our community a lot during this pandemic is that prayer is often a very hard thing for me in isolation. Um, it's a very easy thing for me in community, and I love being in community when davening, but it's a very hard thing for me to wake up and want to daven. Um, and and so I, I really appreciated this piece in thinking about what prayer can be um, in regard to Jacob's moments in darkness. Jacob's prayer is very different. He does not initiate it. His thoughts are elsewhere. On Esau, from whom he, esca- whom he is escaping, and on Levan, to whom he is traveling. Into this troubled mind comes a vision of God and the angels and a stairway connecting earth and heaven. He has done nothing to prepare for it. It is unexpected. Jacob literally encounters God as we can sometimes encounter a familiar face among a a crowd of strangers. This is a meeting brought about by God, not man. That is why Jacob's prayer could not be made the basis of a regular obligation. They're talking about Mariv. None of us knows when the presence of God will suddenly intrude into our lives. There is an element of the religious life that is beyond conscious control. It comes out of nowhere when we are least expecting it. If Abraham represents our journey towards God and Isaac our dialogue with God, Jacob signifies God's encounter with us. Unplanned, unscheduled, unexpected. The vision, the voice, the call we can never know in advance, but which leaves us transformed. As for Jacob, so for us, it feels as if we are waking from a sleep and realizing as if for the first time that God was in this place and I did not know. The place has not changed, but we have. Such an experience can never be made the subject of an obligation. It is not something we do. It is something that happens to us. Such experiences take place literally or metaphorically at night. They happen when we are alone, afraid, vulnerable, close to despair. It is then that when we least expect it, we can find our lives flooded by the radiance of the divine. Suddenly, with a, cert- with a certainty that is unmistakable, we know that we are not alone that God is there and has been all along, but that we too are pre- but that we were too preoccupied by our own concerns to notice God. That is how Jacob found God, not by his own efforts like Abraham, not through continuous dialogue like Isaac, but in the midst of fear and isolation. Jacob in flight trips and falls. 
and finds he has fallen into the waiting arms of God. No one who has had this experience ever forgets it. That was Jacob's prayer. There are times when we speak and times when we are spoken to. Prayer is not always predictable, a matter of fixed times and daily obligation. It is also an openness and a vulnerability. God can take us by surprise, waking us from our sleep, catching us as we fall. Um, so I just wanted to just wanted to share that I thought it was a very a very profound piece on prayer, but also um, I love that our conversation kind of dove very deeply into the Hineni piece, and this feels like a beautiful response also to Hineni um, and how we say Hineni in different moments and what we show up to do. And sometimes that those, those things that we show up for are the things that we were once scared of or noticed in the dark and then, and then came out to be profound moments in our lives. So um, unless Robert Shapiro has a, another closing, I just wanted to gift that piece to all of you. It was something I am going to hold on to as a, as a profound piece of Torah. And um, yeah, hope you all have a, Great week, and you'll be hearing this on Friday, so Shabbat Shalom. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Josh. Enjoy your Chinese food, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, I will be watching Soul and Wonder Woman 1984 this coming weekend, and I'm very excited about both of those things. Is that a good way to end? Yeah, that was perfect. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.